0: I'm going to go back to the book of John. And I've been really captured by this just this little verse. And it feels like it's just been rolling around in my spirit and in my heart for a while now. And I can't seem to get away from it even when I preach. It's verse 17 of John 14. We talked a bit about it last week. In context here, he's... Telling his disciples, listen, you've walked with me and served me and seen miracles, seen the dead raised, seen blind eyes opened, even you prayed for him, seen devils cast out. But that's still not going to get you into heaven. You're going to have to follow me through salvation after I'm glorified. And that was much of the message to the, the Jewish people was, look, the job of the Jewish people was to bring Jesus into the earth. That's why they had so many rules and regulations and laws and and everything around their structured around their life, was it presented a pathway to God without salvation, a pathway to God for the Jewish people through the laws, through the rituals, the feasts. It was a pathway to God outside of salvation But the purpose was to birth Jesus within Israel, through Israel, so that the rest of the world and Israel could be saved. So even though they could go back through their history a couple thousand years and see when God met with Abraham and and launched their mission forward through lineage, and they can trace their lineage all the way to Jesus, their job ended when Jesus was glorified. Say amen if you're still with me. In other words, the pathway you've been on and all the work that you did was to bring Jesus. Good job, it's complete. Now you all have to follow Jesus through salvation. Otherwise, there's no other way to God anymore. And that was part of where Israel, especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees, had a difficult time letting go of. You mean we've poured so much time into this in our life, our culture? My great-great-grandpa lived like this, and you're telling me it's no longer any good? I have to accept Jesus, and not just me, but this Gentile over here. This, uh, they call them dogs. This dog over here gets to have access to God as freely as I do? That doesn't seem fair. Hold your finger in John 14 and come over to Romans. verse 25 of chapter 2. For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if the uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physical uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you even with your written code and circumcision or a transgressor of the law? So here he's, he's beginning to, in Romans to argue to the Jewish man that, look, you have been a man who follows the law, but inside of you is a nature of sin. And that nature of sin can go as far as into Homosexuality, into murder, into a reprobate mind. But you have the law, the, the rules, the written code that you are living behind. But you're as much a sinner as the homosexual and the Gentile uh, that you are judging. And he's saying to them, You have to get saved too. That even your circumcision was not meant to bring you closer to God. Circumcision was a sign. Of the new nature coming and replacing the old nature. In other words, the same way a baby is circumcised and the foreskin is cut, that little piece of skin is cut off, revealing a covenant with God, your old nature was snipped and cut off, revealing you are now in a relationship with God. Verse 27 And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code, in circumcision, or a transgressor of the law. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly. Now, just pause there and think about that. He's not a Jew who's one outwardly. So the Jewish people's claim to being children of God here, Paul is saying it no longer counts. No longer can you call yourself a child of God because you're born into the Jewish family. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart. So he, Paul makes a switch here to the whole Jewish nation and says all the work that you did, all the labor that you did to bring God, bring Jesus in and follow the commandments and the written code, was only to bring Jesus After that, it gives you no more credibility. Being born a Jew no longer gives you any more credibility to God. The real Jew, here he says, is the one who is born again, who is circumcised inwardly. And by Jew, he's calling them, meaning the children of God. So there is a switch, an important switch from the Old Testament to the New Testament when it comes to being a child of God. That there's no way to go to heaven outside of Jesus. No good work, not even being born into the Jewish nation. But we don't want to belittle what they experienced, because they experienced God in the Old Testament. They heard God's voice, they saw miracles, signs and wonders. They seen God, they seen angels, they had amazing, amazing history. But all of that was to bring Jesus, not to be carried over as a secondary pathway to God. And Paul here is telling them that the real children of God are ones who are born again inwardly, who have the new nature in them. But he is a Jew who is one, verse 29, who is one inwardly and circumcised, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, this is chapter 3. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. Indeed, let God be true and every man a liar. As it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. So what was the advantage of being a Jew and going through all that history of years and years and, and generation after generation of following the commandments, much in every way they carried the oracles of God? In other words... You should be the first one to recognize Jesus as the Savior. You should be the first one. You carried the very written letter that promised Jesus, promised the Savior. And here he is. That was the advantage. You should be the first one in line to accept Jesus because you're the ones who carried him through your lineage. Now I'm going back over to John chapter 14 to the verse I'm stuck on. Jesus is telling the disciples... You're still Jewish, unsaved saints, Old Testament saints. You operated with God, and God operated with you. But it was under you being uh, old nature. These men, these disciples, are no, no more holy, if I can put it that way, no, no more closer to God than the, the ugliest man in the world, the most sinful man in the world. Because, you know, when you get to heaven... When you're trying to break into heaven, <laughs> you die and they say you go to pearly gates, but you stand before God. There's only one question he's going to ask you. And that question is going to be, are you born again? That's the question he's going to ask. Do you have the nature of God in you? Do you have the nature of light in you? Are you a family member? Because heaven is a family club. It's exclusively for family. The only way you get in is being born into the family. It's unfair, I know, but that's the way it goes. So thank God we're born into the family of God. So when you stand before God, He's not going to ask you your list of sins and good works, right? Well, let's see, if your good works line up, and the pile of good works is bigger than your pile of evil works, then you get into heaven. But if your pile of evil works is more than your pile of good works, then uh, I'm sorry, it doesn't matter, you're still going to hell. We know that the only way to get to heaven is to have that new nature in us. To be circumcised in the spirit in our heart. And having the old nature snipped off. So we are born into the family of God. So he's telling the disciples, because it doesn't matter how good they are. It doesn't matter how much work they did. If they died without accepting Jesus after he was glorified, there was no other pathway to heaven. And many people think that religion is trying to get you to submit to rules and regulations. But it's so much being born again is such a different example. It's not about rules or regulations as we know It's God trying to rescue us, trying to save us from a family that's going to go to hell. Every person born is born dead. Think about it. They exist, but every person born is born with death working in their nature. And God's goal and heart is to rescue every person and to bring them into the family of God through salvation. So whether if these... Disciples who walked with God, walked with Jesus, seen blind eyes open, cast out devils, seen the dead raised. If they went to heaven, the pearly gates and stood before God without being saved, they would not make it to heaven. In other words, it doesn't matter how all the good works they did and all the life they served in the name of God, under the old covenant that did not give you access to heaven, even those who died under the Old Testament had to be born again through Christ the same way you and I do. So if they stood there with all their good works and a man like Hitler stood beside them with all their bad works, guess what? It wouldn't matter because the good works don't send you to heaven like your bad works don't send you to hell. It's the nature that's in you. Now, for those of you who want to play with sin, you understand you can lose your new nature, (laughs) and you can give it up if you're not careful. So he's telling his disciples this message. If you love me, keep my commandments. And he goes on, he's sharing here, and the pathway through these verses are, you're going to have to follow me into salvation, boys. All the works that you watch God do, are not enough. You're going to have to accept me as your Savior. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 15 I'm in John 14. And I'll pray the Father, and He'll give you another Helper, that He may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. But you know Him for he dwells with you. Now pause there. So he tells the disciples, you know the Holy Spirit. See, the Holy Spirit didn't just show up when Jesus was glorified. The Holy Spirit was able to to come from outside of us to inside of us. And he says here, you know him for he dwells with you. You know the the blind eyes that were healed when you prayed for him, the deaf ears. And you remember when I raised up Lazarus? And uh, the devils were cast out. Well, that was all the Holy Spirit working amongst men who were not born again. We see in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, we see amazing, amazing uh, miracles and signs and wonders. That is the Holy Ghost working amongst men. And here he tells them, he dwells with you. You know the Holy Spirit. He dwells with you. And this is the part that I have underlined and have been focused on. And this is the last part of verse 17. And the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him and for he dwells with you and will be in you. This is what's been sticking with me and just rolling around in my spirit over and over again. Was we still in our church world today, can focus on the power of god the the move of the Holy Spirit like an old Testament saint, longing to see signs and wonders and and miracles, and you just have to advertise we had a angels singing in our choir last Sunday, and we 'd double our church, triple our church tomorrow because. Christians are searching, so many Christians are searching for an experience with God on the outside. And I think what my argument I'm trying to make is, that's so last year, that's so old, that's so Old Testament, that we are excited about a move of God on the outside. And I remember 20-some years ago, when uh, arguments were starting to be laid by preachers, for sensationalism, like gold dust showing up, diamonds showing up in services, and gems showing up in services, glory clouds, those type of things, angels, even female angels showing up, but I didn't hear about a female angel until a few years ago. That's a fake female angel, if you're just to be clear. <laughs> and what was happening was preachers were starting to use the word to prove that it was okay to look to God through those sensational experiences. They were using the word to say, well, you know, everything that happened was new. You know, when they went to uh, the mount, Moses came down, he, he, you couldn't look at his face, the Red Sea, the, and they used the Old Testament miracles as the reason why we should be looking for those God in those today. And I'm not against anything necessarily that, and I don't want to belittle anything necessarily that encouraged you ever to pursue more of God. But what we have found is that there is a possibility to be misled by signs and wonders and sensational signs and wonders. It's a possibility that that's not a real angel talking to you, that's a devil. Remember Pastor Dave, I remember visiting him at his house one time and he said he was just finishing a fast and he said, Do you hear that music? Do you hear that music? And I said, No. He goes, Ah, Rosalie didn't hear it either. She told me not to tell anyone, they think I'm crazy. But he said, I hear I hear music, Christian music singing. He said, I think it's angels. And then a year later he went on a, like a real serious 40-day fast where we, we kind of locked him in a room somewhere with a bunch of water and his Bible. And he came out of there, and here's his story. You, you, most of you may remember this story. He said, well, I started fasting, and all of a sudden those, the angels started singing again. I haven't heard them for a year. They started to sing again, and they were singing old gospel music. Forgive me if I don't get all the details 100% right. But he said that they they kept singing old gospel music and, and it was beautiful. But then as I fasted more and spent more time seeking God in my fasting, they got louder and louder to where that's all I could hear. I couldn't even think. There was just so much noise of these angels singing and I couldn't get them to shut up. And he was having this experience, a spiritual experience. And then he said, the thought came to him after a while. Why don't you request a song? So he requested an old gospel song, an old one that he heard when he was a kid. And he said they had to go look it up, I think, when they, there's a pause, and then they started to sing it. And it was beautiful. And then he had a thought ask them to sing Johnny Cash. Was it The Ring of Fire? The Ring of Fire. And he said there was another pause, and they, he, he thinks they were talking amongst themselves, and eventually they started singing The Ring of Fire. And that's when he said, I knew then that those were not angels, that those are demons pretending to be angels. Remember that story? Well, that experience of Pastor Dave has saved all of us 20, 30 years of our life. Just his one experience there. Because those who are hungry for the spiritual move of God can be distracted By things that aren't really from God pretending to be of God. And he said that he felt later that the goal of those angels, demons, pretending to be angels, were to get him to acknowledge them in front of the crowd, the church. And say, let me introduce you to the angels. And then all of us would start hearing angels. And pretty soon a a move of God, which was going one direction, would be hijacked by the enemy pretending to be God. And I feel that much of the church world today, because I kind of break up the church world into two categories. You have those who are very practical, and the way they see God is practical. They're, they're the ones who, they get focused on God, they want to go feed the poor, and go soul winning on Saturdays, and go build houses and, for poor people to go and uh, build wells for water in poor countries. All in the name of the gospel. It's all good. All in the name of the gospel. But that's their focus. They don't really pursue growth in the spirit or maturing in God. They pursue being good people and doing their best to serve God. Good people, but they're very practical in the way they serve God. And then the second category are the spiritual group that pursue God in the spiritual arena, and they seek God in the spiritual arena, and I've seen so many of them hijacked. Well, I went up to one place. They had a what they called a they called it a renewal. Eventually, it was called the Toronto Blessing, and it broke out where people all the world started showing up and were being touched by God. And so I went up there to check it out. And what I discovered was, in my own view was I never felt anything different than what I feel in in my church at the time. And my church at the time was a word of faith church that prayed and worshipped God. So when I went there, I wasn't overly like, Wow, this is amazing. I feel God so amazingly. Because I had felt God in our services. But what I discovered was there was a lot of people there who had never experienced God in a heart-to-heart relationship. I'm talking about Catholics, Baptists, good people who served God their whole life. They stepped into the Toronto Blessing Church, and they experienced the presence of God probably for the first time in an intimate way, and they were blown away and touched, and I believe that was authentic. That part of it was very authentic, that people were experiencing a touch of God. But while I was in line, I was standing in line, somebody went, Ooh. And it sounded almost like a, a belch, you know, Ugh! and I thought, oh, he belched, but then every, every 15 seconds he would go, Ugh! Like, and it looked like someone punched him in the stomach. And I seen a lot of that come out of there. And in there, there was people who were barking like dogs during the service, and clucking like chickens, and crowing like roosters, and roaring like lions. And one good pastor friend of mine, I always admired him. He was not so much because he was a pastor. Like, I always respected him. He was a cowboy that became a pastor. But he was all cowboy. And what I always admired about him was his toughness. Like, he was like what you would call a manly man. He would preach to you, but also punch you out if he needed to. He, he's not afraid of anything. And, a, and honest. Honest as can be, and as serious as can be, always. Not not what you would ever say that guy's a little flaky. You know, some guys are just, you know, they're a little bit, you think, well, that guy's a little flaky. Well, this was not this pastor, but this pastor went to Toronto and came back, and what he told me after, after we were talking years later was, oh, no, the clucking like a chicken and the barking like a dog, that's like praying in tongues. I said, whoa, 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 what do you mean? He said, well, praying in tongues means you have to humble yourself. And listen, there's nothing more humbling than barking like a dog or clucking like a chicken in front of people. And so they really experienced it, and they yielded over to it, thinking it was God, because they wanted it and felt it was pleasing God. Many of the people who are spiritually chasing things, it's not because they're crazy or because their motives are wrong. Sometimes it's because their motives are so pure, they don't want to miss God. He told me, he said, no, this is the Holy Spirit moving. This is how it's supposed to move. And I can go on. I remember uh, when the laughing thing came through. And people would try to get you to laugh in a service. It became their mission to try to spread laughter. And laughter itself can be good. You know, just in the natural. A good laugh is good. The emotions that hit you when you laugh is good. But they begin to teach it like, this is the Holy Spirit. Like, this is like praying in tongues. And they came up with scripture that matched that idea, that laughing, giving yourself over to laughter, was much like giving yourself over to praying in tongues. And if you know me, I'm for things that are authentic. (laughs) Like, I really have a distaste in my mouth for anyone who tries to pretend they're having an experience because they think it makes them look better or more spiritual. But this kind of sensationalism is when you're chasing after something with a good heart. I want to be humble and used of God. I don't want to miss out. Hey, if you miss out on this, you're going to miss out on a move of God. And so the Holy Spirit operating in the outside of our life became what I saw from my early years of ministry up till now was a whole group came out pursuing sensational experiences. And I want to try to differentiate between sensational experiences and spiritual experiences. Because if you are worshiping God in private, and you feel His presence come and it touches you, that's a spiritual experience. That's a God moving in you. When you pray in tongues, that is a spiritual experience, whether you feel it or not. But sensational is something that is from the outside, something that happens on the outside. We talked about the glory cloud and, and different things, and, and for many of us, we're not affected by that. But you'd be surprised how many people right now are waiting for the next preacher to show up with the next sensational sign and wonder, so they can flock to them and lift them up as a revival. I remember when the revival, a quote-unquote revival, broke out in Florida. And we had questions about it. And the questions were because the main preacher had had seen in the Spirit and testified. He had one old prophet come up to him and say, Have you ever met the angel Emma? And he said, No, never have. And this was an old-time prophet. Well, the next service, guess who showed up? There in the back of the room was a female angel called Emma. And introduced herself, and no one in the crowd could see it, but he saw it. And he said there was more, I think there was more miracles in that service and more finances in that service. And over the next few years, he had experiences with all kinds of angels showing up and had made a way in his services for this. And this guy came from Canada, and I knew him of him in my youth when I was a youth pastor. We had the same circles to a certain extent. And their way of going into God had to do with not praying in tongues so much, but with being quiet, quieting your mind. Where the idea is that the way you meditate is you just learn how to quiet your mind for hours on end. Don't pray in tongues. Just get your natural mind quiet. Quiet. One man told me, he said, yeah, right here, see this here? This is where I meditate. I I lay there in silence for 8 to 10 hours a day. And I said, well, I do that every night. (laughs) But then he said, well, you know, the miracles in my ministry increased when I started to do that. The anointing increased, the finances increased in my ministry when I started to do this. Well, if you want to get a young man who's ambitious for ministry, excited, tell him there's a way to increase your ministry. (laughs) Increase the anointing. But I knew something was wrong with his advice. It can be masked as spiritual, but really it's sensational. It's an outward experience. So by these words here, where Jesus tells his disciples, the Holy Spirit he dwells with you now, but once you're born again, He will dwell in you. That tells us something about the real move of the Holy Spirit, the real powerful operation of the Holy Spirit. What is world-shaking is not signs and wonders and things outwardly, but it's what He can do inside of you. That's the real work that the Holy Spirit has wanted to do and wants to do in us as believers is not to impress us with a juggling act on the outside. Let me show you what I can do. Let me impress you with what I can do, but to come inside of us and to do a work inside of your heart, inside of you. Verse 16 of John 14. And I pray the Father, and he'll give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying, the Holy Spirit is going to come, and you won't be an orphan. You won't have to figure out life by yourself. You won't have to figure out how to provide, how to navigate through life. That's what an orphan does. An orphan has to feed himself and take care of themselves. But Jesus said, I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm sending the Holy Spirit and he will come and dwell in you, not just with you. Why this is so important is because we can get our eyes off of that one word, in you, that he will be in you see that's the world that's the when you think of a universe that's the universe he wants to really operate is inside of you he wants to jump inside of you and then if you allow him he will begin to work and and set you free from things build his knowledge in you and set your future ablaze with revival but that's a work on the inside of you, not on the outside of you. And if you're listening to this message and you're overly impressed with signs and wonders and you're pursuing sensationalism, I remember Pastor Dave, he wrote a letter because of the, the revival, I won't call it a revival, but the, the group of people that were calling it revival down in Florida. Because they were having... These angels show up and sensationalism, uh, gold dust, gems popping up on the floor at your feet. And there was something that bugged us about it. I don't know if you remember that time, but there was something that just bugged us about it. And what happened was there were certain people in churches all around. It reminded me of the Y2K situation. With The Y2K, I always hate to go back to that, but love to go back to that story where we had people in our church who believed the world was coming to an end on the year 2000. I survived about 15 different uh, end of the worlds already in my life. The year 2000 was supposed to come and all the computers were going to turn off and the world was going to starve. and, And they were preaching in our church. These are good people, love God, and they were telling everyone you need to prepare you need to prepare you need to prepare you need to get food and toilet paper and all those things and they had in their house they built a well for water they had stashed years of supplies all behind their couch and in the, they had secret places hidden under their bed and in the garage so no one would know they had it because they didn't want to get robbed when if it happened you know and they were telling people in the church hey hey, you need to prepare, you know, because the Lord's told us that this is going to happen and this is going to happen. Whenever you say that to a younger believer, that, that demands respect. The Lord told me. Well, when I looked at my own sp- inner man, my own spirit, I couldn't find any fear. But their fear made me think, second-guess my peace. And I remember... So much so that the pastor leadership team, there was myself, Pastor Bobby, who was the senior pastor, Zona, who was Norval's daughter, uh, and a few others of us were all there. And we we met and said, what do we do? Like, we don't want to discourage people who want to prepare. But none of us felt any fear about it. So I remember Zona called up Dad Hagen because she could. She got him on the speakerphone. And hello, little Zona. Hey, Dad. Um, I have a question. What's your thoughts on Y2K? And this is about a month before. And he said, Y2 what? (laughs) And she explained it to him. He said, Zona, those things come and go. You just stick to the Word of God. So that gave us the answer for us to not jump on the fear wagon with everyone else. And I remember talking to the couple. The wife was more verbal. And uh, sweet people. I mean, honestly, sweet, 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 educated people. And I said, Listen, we need to... We decided as a church that we're not going to preach or spread fear about Y2K. We're telling everyone... That if it's on your heart to prepare, we're not against that. We don't think you're crazy. But we're not telling people they need to prepare. And the lady looked at me, and she, you know, she's much older than I am, so I always tried to be respectful. I said, well, those who are not preparing are not listening to God. And then my Canadian smart mouth came out, and I said, well, maybe, maybe it's that the people who have faith for God to provide... God's telling them not to prepare. But the ones who don't have faith for God to provide for them, he's telling them to prepare. And she caught it real quick. The Canadian way is you don't catch it until like an hour later. Like, wait a minute, he just jabbed me. I didn't realize that. But she caught it quick. And she said, are you telling me that we don't have faith? I said, well, you just told me that I'm not hearing God. And you know, Y2K came and left, and there was no... Nothing, maybe I think a library book got charged a hundred times more was the biggest issue. And all the preachers <laughs> they changed their mind after a while, the ones who preached for it. It was the same feeling I got, because what was happening with the Y2K was people who didn 't have a personal vision from God adopted a vision. They've adopted a purpose. And all of a sudden, all around America, churches were full of people who were preaching Y2K prepare, and you couldn't talk sense to them. Hey, maybe it's not going to happen. Oh, you're just not hearing God. And they rejected even the leadership's opinion because they had a now had a message they could preach. And it was the same with this guy down in... Orlando, or in Florida, sorry, not Orlando, but near in Florida, where they had a revival, and the revival had some miracles, they were talking about miracles, but it was full of angels and gold dust and all kinds of sensationalism mixed in, in wrong doctrine, wrong, you know, the stuff they were saying didn't make sense to the scripture. And I remember trying to talk to friends of mine who were believers, saying that's the new move of God. That's a new move of God, and those who are not going with it are just jealous. And so when I tried to say, well, they're preaching crazy stuff. You're just jealous. And Pastor Dave wrote a letter discrediting that move. And I had one good friend of mine say, well, I can't believe Pastor Dave wrote that letter. What's, that's none of his business. Why is he writing that letter, discrediting that move? That's a move of God. Why is he writing the letter? He's just jealous. I said, no, that's his job. He's an apostle. That's his job to address things. And so when the move disappeared, what happens to most of those people who are preachers of moves like that is they just move on. And they find another move, another person to follow. And all the damage that is done behind them They just move on, set up another camp. Leave the broken behind and start again. Because they're not after helping the sheep, they're after helping themselves. Revival is not going to be about impressing people. Revival is to be a holy, holy thing where the only one who gets glory is God. A holy thing not a spectacular thing with fireworks and let me show you the holy spirit juggle in front of us impress us holy spirit little trinkets as so like dave pastor dave says you know if i bring my child to a church that's broken my child's broken i don't want gold dust i don't want gems or glory clouds i want to see my baby healed yeah. see that's the revival we're after and why this verse is just messing with me so much is because Jesus is telling the disciples that every work you've seen in the Old Testament done by the Holy Spirit. That's what he's telling them, and Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is about the gifts, being able to operate with the Holy Spirit as an Old Testament saint, where he'll show up and he'll do things, But it's not because of you, it's in spite of you. And so much of our church world today, who are spiritual-minded, are forcing the Holy Spirit to work with them as Old Testament saints on the outside. That's why they're longing so much for personal prophecies. They're longing so much for a preacher to tell them what's next. They're longing so much for a direction they could a train they could jump on to follow because they haven't spent enough time allowing the Holy Spirit to do what he really wants to do is to work on the inside of them and to put a personal vision, a personal mission on the inside of them that they don't need another man to follow. They're going to walk alongside other men, not just follow men. You can say amen to that. That was good preaching right there. So Jesus is actually telling the disciples here, all you can take all the work of the Holy Spirit for the last 4,000 years, take all that work, all the miracles, the signs and wonders, and even what you've experienced with him in these last three and a half years, walking with Jesus. And all of that is small and minor compared to what he wants to do on the inside of you. If we let him. If we walk with him that way. Where we let him work on the inside of us. That is his masterpiece. That is the work that he. Desires to do. More than raising the dead. More than. Can you imagine seeing the Red Sea. Split. And here you are standing there. Here comes the Egyptians. And then all of a sudden. Moses strikes the Red Sea and it splits in half and you walk through dry ground. Hear Jesus saying, that's nothing. That's nothing compared to what he's going to do on the inside of you if you let him. If you build a relationship with him where you let him do that work on the inside of you. And maybe that's a caution I'm feeling is that so much of the church still, we're kind of in a cocoon. We're in a, Thank God for Pastor Dave's teaching in kind of a cocoon where every day we get solid teaching. I don't have to uh, spit out sticks or overthink things that are taught here. Gary gets up to teach and my heart opens up to receive from him. But there's a whole world of churches and ministries out there that are chasing and going down all kinds of paths. Trying to serve God, trying to do what their best to serve God. But I've watched personal friends, and I've watched people I've respected get off course and chase. I'll never forget my cowboy pastor friend. When he told me that, I was shocked about clucking like a chicken is like praying in the Holy Ghost. It's spiritual, Alan. It's God moving on me. And I remember thinking, you, of all people, in this natural man, you would have you chased people out of your church if they tried to do that to you. But that's how deceptive the enemy is. And what he uses to deceive so many believers is their hunger for God. And the tagline that says, oh, you don't want to miss out on this move of God. So don't judge it. You'll miss out on it. People who speak for God, I don't know where we get away with it. Where I'm talking about me too. Like for years, it never dawned on me how much damage you can do to people when you speak for God. Because people actually believe you when you say, God told me. And I remember remember being a teenager, just starting to serve God. My dad had a hard time with me because I wouldn't mow the yard. And I was being a, a bum teenager. And I was just starting to serve God. I remember hearing my dad's footprints upstairs. And I knew what he was after by the sound. Came home. The yard was not mowed like he'd asked me to. And he was coming downstairs to get me to do what I was supposed to do. And what did I do? I just started serving God. What did I do? I pulled up my Bible. Laid on the bed. Pulled up my Bible. My dad busted in my room. What are you doing? I'm just reading the Word of God, Dad. Well, my old carnal dad at the time was like, oh, uh, okay, well, when you finish that, then I want you to mow the yard, please. I knew even as a teenager how to use spiritual things to back my own authority dad (laughs) out of my world. Like, back off, I got the Bible. And I've watched people for years pull the same prank on pastors and leaders, on parents, on authority, on friends. God told me. God told me, every person who's ever come to me and told me, God told me to marry this person. I don't like them, but God told me to marry them. Every one of them is divorced now. Because you don't marry someone because God told you to. (laughs) Because, you know, after you get married for a while, you may not like everything about your spouse. You may not be so impressed with everything about your spouse. Are you going to blame God? God, you told me to marry them, <laughs> fix them. <laughs> no, that's not marriage. Marriage is a partnership working together. God will help you pick one, that's for sure. But every person I met, I met one good friend of mine. She, she wanted to get married so bad. There was a guy who was at school, he was a drug addict. And she said, God told me to marry him. And I said, no, don't do it. Oh, no, God told me to. Well, what does that do? That backs you off. Back away. Back away. And it was miserable for that poor girl. I wanted to beat him up many times. There's a work that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you that is more dramatic than the Red Sea being split in front of your eyes. You can take all the work of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus said, I got something better for him to do than to entertain you with glory and with signs and wonders. That's the work he wants to do inside of you. Because once I'm glorified, you can follow me into salvation to where you become a child of God. And because you're a child of God, He'll then be able to come and operate in you. And He will be in you. And because He's in you, you'll not be orphans. If I'm ever convinced about spending time praying in the Holy Spirit, spending time in private worship, these words have pointed me even further down that path that there's a work that the Holy Spirit knows what to do inside of me to help me overcome every struggle, every battle. I'm at the mercy of my natural man if I don't do this work with the Holy Spirit in me. That's why I thank God I'm dysfunctional, or was. (laughs) I was so dysfunctional in my youth, I knew I needed God or I was going to really be a mess. But there's people who aren't that dysfunctional. They got it together. They have life together just where they want it. And they're not driven like I was to spend time with the Holy Spirit. I don't like to pray in tongues necessarily. In the sense that, oh, it's so exciting to go spend hours going Shandala, Shandala. Yes. You know, but I need to pray in tongues. Because I know I can't trust myself, my natural man's wisdom in this life most people will get to heaven and realize they live their life serving their outward man even though they called it spiritual sensational it was really appeasing the outward man god's work to the world is to their outward man because their inner man is still dark is not born again so to the world it may need something from the outside But you're not of the world. You're a child of God now. You're born again. The Holy Spirit is in you. That's where you find the world-changing, life-altering power is the Holy Spirit in you. I've watched multitudes of people through my life get distracted through busyness, through practical serving God. And I like practically serving God as long as it doesn't take you away from Spending time with God. I think it's good for everyone to do something good for the gospel. I think everyone should witness throughout their day. I think everyone should feed the poor. I think everyone should do those works. But to make it your mission, that's a whole different thing. When you start taking something to make it your mission to replace you following God, you spending time with God, then you're missing out on the best part of the Holy Spirit is not him working around you, not you seeing great amazing things, but that little that amazing little work that happens on the inside of you. It's like a clock worker. You ever see those little pocket watches are so tiny. And then you get you have to get them repaired. You get someone they got the tiniest little screws and they got, how they build those things. It's incredible. They got little screwdrivers. I mean, if, you know, you try to even take your own little screwdriver like a hammer to that little clock well, you take a, a clock worker or a guy he can get in there and with his little tools make the adjustments and make it work well that's what you need in your life you don't need a sledgehammer if you need someone on the outside to tell you to live holy that's a first class sign that you're, you haven't allowed the Holy Spirit to whisper it to you on the inside and it's easy to build a religion to where you're serving God and even Spiritually seeking spiritual things, but it be carnal as carnal can be. So from these verses, verse 17, I'll read one more time as I try to close. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. There's a work of the Holy Spirit for us, and it's not on the outside. It's on the inside first. When you take time out of your day, out of your week, and dedicate it to spending time with the Holy Spirit, either in worship, I'd say even in reading the Word, praying in tongues, do you know that that is where He is the most excited to work in your life? Is on the inside of you. That to Him, the real sign of revival isn't the miracles the real sign of his power isn't the signs and wonders the real signature of his work is when you show up next week and someone says oh you've changed you're different there's something about you then he says that's me that's my work. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. takes a bow. Thank you. That's my work. That's why you're not supposed to bow. <laughs> so he can take a bow. Let's continue to be seekers of a relationship with God. So many people, maybe I'm just getting harder as my old age, older age. But I believe too many people in the past, when they said God told me, And said, "This is God." And I jumped on bandwagons. One man believed so much in a financial deal that he talked me out of my money. And this is a man, a preacher that I had the most respect for, loved and respected. And his words to me was, "Alan, this is the real deal. I know it looks amazing and." They're saying it's not real, but I promise you it's real. I promise you so much, Alan, that if it doesn't work, I will personally pay your money back. And he had talked me out of $7,000 when that was like a million dollars to me. But it was with a promise that I would multiply that pretty quick. He had heard God. He had seen it with his own eyes. I had the word of a man I loved and respected and honored a preacher at that, a businessman at that. And then he went to jail. (laughs) He talked people out of $7 million. But he wasn't a, a thief. He was deceived. He believed it with his whole heart. He's never paid me back. I never asked him to. See, I... What... Allowed me to stay in that, even when, because what happened was I tried to get my money back, is when he told me, No, this is the real deal, I promise you. And I had already in my heart anxiety, like, This isn't right. No, this is God, I promise you, trust me. From those type of experiences, I've learned how to trust the inner man in me and take responsibility for my life. Because what kept me in that deal was you don't want to miss it. It's just around the corner. I don't want to be a... uh, What's the guy who stands in the circus in the middle square? The middle circle? The ringmaster? Of trying to entertain people to keep them entertained long enough to stay following God. I want to be an example of of honesty and integrity. And if I ever say God said, I want it to be that God said. I don't want it to be maybe God said. The work that he wants to do is the work that he can only do on the inside of you if you'll take time with him and allow him to pray through you, allow his word to go through you or spend time in private worship. That's more impressive and all that he did in the Old Testament. All the work of the Old Testament, creating the worlds. You want to know what's amazing? The work that he can do right inside of you. If you just take the time to spend it with him. You are released. God bless you.